we're going to turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus and chapter 30. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please open them there. In the second book of the Bible, right back at the beginning by the front cover, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 30. And Exodus uh, is basically the word exit. And it's the story of how the children of Israel came out of Egypt, where they had been slaves, and on their journey to the promised land. And how God led them to uh, build a tabernacle for his worship, a tent temple, if you like. And uh, this is a part of the furniture in there. We're reading... Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 to 10. And it says, Make an altar of acacia wood for burning incense. It is to be square, a cubit long and a cubit wide, and two cubits high. Its horns of one piece with it. Overlay the top and all the sides and the horns with pure gold. And make a gold moulding around it. Make two gold rings for the altar below the moulding. Two on opposite sides to hold the poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Put the altar in front of the curtain that is before the Ark of the Testimony. Before the atonement cover that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight, so incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering and do not pour a drink offering on it. Once a year... Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering for the generations to come. It is most holy to the Lord. Well, please keep your Bibles open there. Recently, I came across a a very expensive little leaflet. Now, I don't have £150 to buy this leaflet, but I found the story in another book, so I was saved the money. But it's the story of a slave in America back in the days before the Civil War, a slave by the name of Cuff, you know, like at the end of your sleeves, Cuff. And I guess that may have been a reference to his chains at one time. And Cuff was a Christian as well as being a slave. And he was a very good worker, and his master uh, valued him very much. But unfortunately, his master fell onto hard times, and he had to sell Cuff. And he sold him to a man whose name was John. And he said to John, uh, this young slave, tra- uh, sl- this young farmer who was employing him to work on his land, he said, you'll find Cuff to be a wonderful worker. There's only one problem with him. And he said, what's that? He said, he keeps praying. And John said, well, I'll soon flog that out of him. And the master said, I doubt very much if you will. Well, 
Cuff was taken into the employment of this man called John to work on his farm. And at the end of one day, John found Cuff praying. And he said to him, now listen, we don't have any prayer on this plantation. You will not pray. And he said, I'm sorry, master. He said, I can't not pray. He said, I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, and praying to him is everything to me. I pray every day. And he said, and I love you and Mrs. better because I pray. Because I pray for you too. And he said, if you pray again, I will flog you. And he said, I'm sorry, master. I will have to pray. Well, the next day, again, John caught Cuff praying. And so to his shame, he took Cuff and tied him to a whipping post and he flogged him and flogged him and flogged him till he was exhausted. Then he commanded one of the other slaves to rub salt water on his back. His wife came out and pleaded with him to stop, but he said, go back inside uh, or I'll treat you as badly. And uh, he left this poor slave in the wounded situation. Well, that night, they all went to their beds and John went to his bed, but he went to bed with a troubled conscience. And he thought, what a wicked man I am. What a wicked man I am. And in the night he began tossing and turning and he began feeling restless and uncomfortable and worried. And his wife said to him, whatever's wrong, she said, do you want me to call the doctor? He said, it's not a doctor I need. He said, I need somebody to pray for me. He said, I'm going to hell and I need somebody to pray for me. Is there anybody on this plantation who can pray for me? And his wife looked at him and said, You know full well there's nobody here who can pray except Cuff. And he said, do you think he would pray for me? She said, I know he would. So they went and found him. And do you know what they found him doing? They found him praying. And he was praying in his little room at that time, praying for his master who had beaten him. And when he was drawn to his master's bedside, he said, Master, I've been praying for you all night. And Master said, would you pray for me? And they prayed together. And then wife came and knelt by the bed as well. And the husband and the wife became believers, putting their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, asking them to save him. And you know, John and Cuff went around America preaching the gospel to the slaves and sharing the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing story? But it's the story of a man who prayed and knew how to pray. And that's what I want to speak to you about this morning as we talk about the altar of incense in the tabernacle. Because the altar of incense is a message in our Bibles on prayer. And I believe, brothers and sisters and friends here today, that this is the most important thing any of us can have in our lives it is absolutely the highest level dr martin lloyd jones in his sermons uh, on the sermon on the mount said prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with god and i agree with that prayer is so important and one day in your life 
prayer will be the most important thing. It'll matter more to you than money. It'll matter more to you than uh, holidays and everything else. That God has the power to answer prayer. So I want us to see uh, about prayer from this. Now, the altar of incense, uh, as I said, was a part of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, as I said earlier, was a tent temple because the children of Israel were on their journey from Egypt to the land of Canaan, which is Israel today. And as they were going, God told them to worship him and he told them how to worship him. They weren't to worship him however they thought. They were to worship as God said. And God said, build a tabernacle uh, for me and this is what the tent temple looked like it wasn't very glamorous on the outside but on the inside it was absolutely beautiful it was golden on the inside and it had two rooms on the inside it had uh, the first room which is called the holy place and then the back room which is called the holy of holies the most holy place and uh, that was where God's presence in in what we call the Shekinah glory the bright light that came down uh, like fire came and it dwelt in that part but in the first part uh, the holy place we had three pieces of furniture we had the lampstand which we talked about some time ago recently uh, there was a table with some bread on it called the table of showbread and then further forward to the front there was the altar of incense and every day the priest would come into the temp- into the tabernacle and he'd put incense on that altar and he would pray to God And the reason they would put incense on there is because incense is a picture of prayer. It's not prayer, it's a picture of prayer. And we see that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. David said in Psalm 141 verse 2, May my prayer be set before you like incense. And in Revelation 5.8, where we talk about the, uh, the, the church in heaven worshipping God, it says that about the elders around the throne, they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So you can see incense is a picture of prayer. Now, we don't use incense in the church today because we're not commanded to. Uh, I always used to think it was like the shake and vac advert, you know, seeing the the Pope go up and down with his incense, uh, wafting incense everywhere. And he didn't need to do that because the Bible doesn't tell us to do that in the New Testament church. But we can learn about incense from this altar. Now, this is one of two altars because there were two altars in the tabernacle, one inside and one outside. The one inside is the golden altar. The one on the outside is the bronze altar. And that's the one you can see there. It's a bigger altar. And it was the altar where the sacrifices were laid and where the uh, offerings of blood were made for men's forgiveness. But this was inside and there was no animal sacrifices on it. Only, as it says in verse 1, for burning incense and in verse 9 we're told that they weren't to put any burnt offerings or grain offerings or drink offerings on it it wasn't for that this was for prayer now there's a difference between these two altars the bronze altar was outside and anybody could come to it anybody could come at all because God was sending a message it's like the gospel anybody can come and be saved 
You're all invited. In fact, God commands us to come to him and be saved. Come and have your sins washed away by the death of Jesus on the cross. Anybody can come to the bronze altar, but not anyone can come to the golden altar. Only the priest could. And that's a picture of the Christian, because only a Christian can come to God in prayer. Did you know that? You might pray... But until you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your saviour, your prayers are not effective because your sin stands between you and God. So you need to come to the Lord first of all. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But this is the altar of incense. In Hebrew, the word is mizbech. And uh, this is in particular the mizbech mikhtar ketaret, which means the altar for burning incense on. As I said, it's a picture of prayer for us. And I want us to look at this. We're having a week of prayer this week. And I want us to be focused on prayer. I want to see four lessons about prayer from this passage of scripture. I want to see the design of prayer from the altar of incense. The direction of prayer. The diligence in prayer. And the dynamic of prayer. Because all those things, I think, are in verses 1 to 10 for us. First of all, then, the design of prayer. Because in verses 1 to 5, God gives the instructions and the outline of the altar of incense. And it speaks to us very much of God's way of prayer. And that is two things. That we pray to God through Christ and we pray to God through life. Just those two things. That's the design of prayer. We pray through Christ. Because in verses 1 to 3, the description of the altar, the altar itself is a little picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the things in the tabernacle point to the Saviour. The lampstand points to Christ, the light of the world. The table with the bread on it points to Jesus, the bread of life. And the altar of incense points to Christ, our Saviour, and intercessor as well. And It is through Christ that we come. You say, John, how does this point to us about Christ? Well, think of the the design of it, first of all, in its wood. It's made of acacia wood, which is uh, a wood which is a bush that grows in the desert. It's a a very shaggy-looking tree that has a lot of thorns on it. And that's interesting. Uh, uh, But this wood was taken and it was made into, into uh, uh, planks and they made the altar, first of all, out of wood. But then we're told in verse 3 that they were to overlay it with gold. So it was made of two substances. They were inseparable, but they were clearly distinguishable. Wood and gold. And that's like our Lord Jesus Christ. He is a dual nature man. He is both Human and God at the same time. He is the God-man. The wood speaks of his humanity coming from the earth. The gold speaks of his deity and the fact that he is God. And we need uh, an intercessor. We need a mediator if we're to come to God who is both God and man. 
And there's only one altar of incense. And there's only one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Not only that, you'll notice it's square. We were told in verse 2 that it was to be uh, a cubit long and a cubit wide. So it was square. And there's so many square things to do with the temple and the tabernacle. The holy of holies and things like this. And square, four square is a, uh, a something to do with holiness in God's design. But also, this four square aspect speaks about Christ being for the whole earth. Because the square aspect is four sides, and the four sides, like the four points of the compass, make it for each direction. You know, camped around the tabernacle were the tribes of Israel. And they were laid out, not in an unorganized heap in a circle... They were laid out in one giant column going that way, one giant column going that way, one giant column going that way, and one giant column going that way. By the way, what shape does that make? A cross. So when God looked down from heaven, (laughs) he saw the cross. I told you, a Jew wouldn't have put that in there, but God did. It's the message of the gospel. And it's... It's the altar was right in the middle there. And the altar had an aspect looking in each direction. And the four horns of the altar were pointing to the four sides. And it's saying the Lord Jesus is available and interceding for all those who are his people, wherever they are in the world. There's none of us out of his reach. So whether I go to uh, Timbuktu or I go to Antarctica, Antarctica, I am still in range of the Lord Jesus' care and able to come to God through him. It also had horns on it, four horns on the top. Now, these four horns were for symbolic purposes. Some people say the four horns on the altar were for tying the sacrifice on, but that's not true because uh, this wasn't a sacrificial altar in that sense. These four horns were to symbolize power. You know, power is symbolized in the Bible by horns. David said, my horn is lifted high, meaning God has made me strong. And you know what? If, you've, if you meet a rhinoceros, what's the one part of the rhinoceros you're most concerned about, right? Okay, <laughs> It's that horn because that's where his power is all concentrated. And in the Bible, you see this especially in the visions in Revelation, the, the beasts with the horns on them. The horn is a symbol of power. Well, the Bible says about the Lord Jesus Christ... All authority and power has been given to him. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, And he is able, therefore, to be the intercessor and uh, saviour of his people. So it's a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, its height is higher than any other part of the inside tabernacle, which is remarkable, showing us how Christ is exalted. The lampstand was higher when it was on its plinth, on its steps, but uh, at high level, this was higher. So what a picture of Christ is in this altar. And we come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to say this, there's no other way for you to pray. You can't pray to God in the name of Muhammad. You can't pray to God in the name of Buddha. You can't pray to God in the name of Confucius or any, any religious leader or philosopher. You have to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in John chapter 14 verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father but through me. If you want to come to God in prayer, you have to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why in this church we always end our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name or in Christ's name or for the Lord Jesus' sake. Because we're praying through Christ and it's good to see that. That's the design of prayer that we see here. But not only that, we see that the design of prayer is to be through life. Because what we see here is in verse 4, the Lord said, Make two gold rings for the altar below the molding, two on opposite sides to hold the poles used to carry it. Make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Now, just below the molding, and I should have said, by the way, the molding is this part up here that around the top. And that is technically called the crown. And what a fitting picture of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's crowned. And there's three crowns, by the way, in the tabernacle. One on the uh, Ark of the Covenant, one on the table of, of showbread, and one on, on the altar of incense. All a picture of Christ. But below that, you'll see there were some holes for putting poles through. And uh, these were on the sides. Now, some pictures of the tabernacle altar have, the, have them flush with the, the sides. The more accurate pictures have them on the corners because there were only two poles and they were for carrying this altar. You see, the, the tent temple, the, the, the tabernacle, was for a journey. When they got to the promised land, they were going to build a temple, a stone. And it's a, a picture of our wilderness life. You know, in this world, we're on a journey, but one day we're going to go to a place, that ha- a building that has foundations, whose maker is God, like Abraham. We're going to leave the tent life of wandering through this world behind, and we're going to go to heaven instead. But all the way through the wilderness, they had to pack up the tabernacle and move it on to another place. And that meant this altar of incense had to be carried on these poles. And it's a picture of the fact that prayer is not only through Christ, but it's through the whole of our lives. And I want to emphasize that this morning because, you know, I I know lots of us, perhaps we learned to pray when we were children. And when we first came to know the Lord, we started a good habit of praying to the Lord and reading our Bible every day. But somewhere along the way in, in life's journey, life beat us up and we've stopped praying and we're no longer carrying the altar of incense, as it were. You know, sometimes this happens with mothers, doesn't it? Uh, when you have a child, you know, the demands of the child are so great. You, you know, it always wants feeding or caring. And when it isn't crying, you want to get a rest. And, and, and what was once an organized prayer time in your life, routine has totally gone. And you're no longer praying as you should. Sometimes this happens in older life when we have to be carers. And, you know, again, similar different difficulties. The needs of being a carer mean you, you, you don't have a structured day. Sometimes you're up all night caring for someone, someone, someone who's got uh, special needs, uh, and, that, and your day gets scrambled. And once you had a prayer life, but now it's gone. You're still a Christian, but you're not going on in prayer. I want to address that today and say, dear friends, if that's you, then come back to the Lord 
in prayer and re-establish that prayer life because God meant us to carry this, as it were, all the way to heaven. Prayer is a part of the Christian life. Every day to walk with the Lord in, in his word and in prayer. This is how we speak to him and he speaks to us. It's such an important thing. You know, in that film, uh, Apollo 13, the story of the the lunar mission that went wrong, uh, there's that scene where as the spaceship is coming back, they were very concerned about how this this spaceship would be able to come back through the Earth's atmosphere and would it survive. And there was a tense few moments in the the headquarters on Earth at, at Houston where they're waiting and then the voice comes through, Houston we have contact. And all the cheers go up because the people came back through and connection had been made again. Do you know that's like our Christian lives? We need to say, Lord, I need to make contact with you again. There'll be much rejoicing in heaven when we were restored like that. And if you find yourself just holding the poles and you've left the ark of incense, as it were, somewhere over the valley, go back and get that prayer life back. And re-establish it starting today. Second thing I want you to see is the direction of prayer. Which is what we see here in verse 6. In verse 6 it says, Put the altar in front of the curtain that is before the ark of the testimony. Before the atonement cover that is over the testimony. Where I will meet with you. Now, there was a special place for the uh, altar of incense, and that was right up close to the curtain that's called the veil. As I said, on the other side of that veil was the Holy of Holies, the most holy part of the tabernacle, and it had the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, you remember Indiana Jones and the Ark of the Covenant? Well, that was the, the throne of God. And it was called as well the Ark of the Testimony because it had the Ten Commandments inside it. And uh, it was called that in verse 6. And on the other side, God's presence was. Now, the priest couldn't go through because uh, of man's sin. And so the veil was between them. And you remember it had on that veil the angels, a bit like the Garden of Eden, uh, warning him not to come. You can't come any closer because this is where God is on the other side. But the ark of the altar of incense was put right up by it so that he could pray to God on the other side of that, uh, of that veil. And what this teaches us is that the direction of prayer is towards God the Father. And that's an important thing to say. It may say, sound something very uh, simple, but you know what? Sometimes the simple things do need to be said, don't they? We live in a world today that says if you want to pray, you've got to find east and pray towards Mecca. You don't. You pray towards heaven. You pray to God the Father. Pray to him. And uh, we come directly to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're making notes, uh, I'd love you to jot these verses down. Ephesians chapter 2, and even better to look them up. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18. Ephesians 2 verse 18, Paul says this, For through him, that's through the Lord Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. So through Jesus, we both Jews and Gentiles have access to the Father God by 
the one Holy Spirit. Now in that verse, Paul teaches us the same thing again. He says, we come to God through Jesus' death on the cross and we come by the power of the Holy Spirit, but when we come, we pray to God the Father. In Acts 20, verse 21, Paul said that when we pray for repentance and forgiveness, we're to seek repentance from God the Father and put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in his saving work. That's Acts 20, verse 21. And in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 and uh, in verse 9, the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And in that chapter there, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So he says there to pray to the Father. And in verse 9 he says, This then how you should pray, our Father in heaven. So prayer is always directed to the Father, and we see that by the position of the altar before the veil with the Ark of the Covenant on the other side. And praise God, the, altar, the, Ark, the veil has been torn in two now today, and we can come spiritually straight to God uh, through into the Holy of Holies, as it were in prayer but it's still the same principle we're praying to God the Father uh, in our direction and I love the fact that the altar of incense is the part of the furniture that goes deepest deepest into the holy place the you know the, the lampstand is closer back and the and the table with the showbread on is further back but the altar goes deepest in and I want to tell you there's something so significant in that you know, in our, in our prayer lives, we never go deeper than we do in prayer. You may be a great evangelist, like the, the lampstand, bearing a testimony and a witness for Jesus. You may be somebody who's good on the word, perhaps like the altar with the bread on it, the bread of life, the word. But the strength and the reality of your Christian life is how deep you go in prayer. And the deeper you and I come to God, the closer we come to his throne. So let's come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. That's the direction we're to go in. Uh, Woodrow Kroll said, Paul knew how to get answers to his prayers because he knew that prayer was not primarily about getting answers. He was committed to prayer because he was committed to becoming more intimate with his heavenly father i read that in a book this week and i thought i've got to include that that's exactly what i'm trying to say so push in to your relationship with your father in your prayer life by giving him the time that you need to be with him and then thirdly we see our diligence in prayer is seen in verses six uh sorry verse seven to nine Because in verses 7 to 9, we're told what the priest must do and what he must not do in respect to this altar. Let's start with what he must do in verse 7 to 8. It says Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will burn regularly before the Lord for the generation's to come. Now the, the purpose of 
of the altar, as I said there, is to burn incense. And one thing you've got to realize is that this incense was to leave a lasting fragrance in the tabernacle. Some people believe that the, the fragrance was to uh, counteract the smell of the animal sacrifices outside. I don't believe that because uh, God said in the Psalms that it was a beautiful smell to him. But the, the smell of the fragrance was to fill the inner tabernacle with that sense of, of, of worship to God. Remember, there was no chimney. So this incense smoke that, had been, that was burning on the altar, it was going up, it was designed to go straight up, but then it would have gone billowed out around and fill up, filled the uh, uh, whole of the holy place and would have left a lasting fragrance. That's why it says at the end of verse uh, 8, it'll be before the Lord for the generations to come. There would have been always that smell when they went in there. Beautiful smell of the fragrance of offered prayer. And they were to offer this morning and evening. Now the fragrance itself, the incense itself, was a special compound which was described at the other end of this chapter. I love this chapter so much. It's laid out with such structure again. And you know I get excited about things like this. Uh, but at one end you have the altar and then at the other end you have the incense. And that's verse 34 to 38. And we won't go into that. We have looked at that in the past and maybe we'll refresh that as a study. But the ingredients of the incense there all remind us of the different aspects of prayer and what he's to do is to offer this morning and evening and what what an example of the diligence of prayer that prayer is not just to be you know as and when I feel like it but good prayer life a strong Christian's prayer life it needs a proper time set apart for the Lord every day that's the best way to pray and it's to, to linger and continue through the day. We don't just have a prayer time. We are people of prayer. Stephen Alford said prayer is not only an activity, but it is also an attitude of life. And 1 Thessalonians 5.17 reminds us that we are to pray without ceasing. You know, I heard of some ministers in America back in the days, about the 1700s, and uh, they, were, they often would gather together for deep theological study. And they decided, brothers, we need to really find out what did Paul mean in Thessalonians when he talked about prayer without ceasing. And they, they said, uh, we'll appoint one of our brothers to, to do deep research into this and then write a paper and come back and uh, explain it to us. And as it happened, while they were gathering there, the maid of the house was in the room. And she said, sirs, she said, you don't need to write a paper. I'll tell you what it means to pray without ceasing. And they said, Mary, what, what can you tell us about that? Because, I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but you're a maid and, and we're theologians. We've all been through Princeton and so on. You know, we've studied. So, so tell us, really, what can you learn? What do, what do you mean? And she said, well, sirs, it's like this. When I open my eyes in the morning, I pray, Lord, open the eyes of my understanding, like Paul said in the book of Ephesians. 
And she said, then when I'm getting washed, she said, Lord, I pray you wash me clean from all the things that have hindered me. And just the things like in it, the, the word talks about being washed in the water of the word. It reminds me. Then she says, when I'm getting dressed, she said, I like to praise the Lord that I'm clothed in the robe of righteousness in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. Then when I'm preparing the food for the family, she said, I like to pray that everybody in this household will get the bread of life and feed on the word of God. Then when I'm about my chores, I praise God that he gives me the strength for doing these things. Because it says in the Psalms that he gives us strength. And they said, stop. They said, Mary, you're a better theologian than all of us. And they said that God used that dear lady to teach them about praying without ceasing. And you know, dear friends, this is the diligence of prayer. What we're to do is to be like those who burn the incense on the altar morning and evening and continue in it. Have you established a proper prayer time? A proper time to be with the Lord? And to meet with him. George Washington Carver, the scientist, he said that he used to rise at four o'clock in the morning to meet with God. That was his secret. He said, at no other time have I so sharp an understanding of what God means to do with me as those hours when other folks are still asleep. Then I hear God best and learn his plan. Maybe, maybe you need to set an alarm clock and start afresh your morning prayer time. And an evening time with the Lord. Before you go to bed. Just remind yourself of his promises in the word. And praise him before you go to sleep at night. Take time to be holy. Speak oft with thy Lord. That's what the hymn writer says. And it's symbolized here in the priest at the incense altar. But it's not only shown in the diligence of what we must do, but what we mustn't do as well. Because in verse 9, he gives this warning. He says, do not offer on this altar any other incense or any burnt offering or grain offering and do not pour a drink offering on it. Now, this is a warning here that we're to worship God his way. And one of the sad stories in the, in the book of Leviticus, you remember, was about Aaron, the high priest, his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, in Leviticus chapter 10, who offered strange fire, unholy fire that God hadn't given from the altar of the bronze altar, which is where they got their coals from. And they offered, uh, it seems, what was really idolatrous worship at that altar. And what happened? The fire came out from the midst of the holy place and it devoured Nadab and Abihu. God has said, I will be treated as holy. You come and worship me as I have said. And the fear of the Lord came on the camp of Israel. And it, it speaks to us, dear friends, about what we're to do, but also what we're not to do. And we're not to mix in with our prayer life unbiblical ideas. You know, I, I, I don't want to be critical, but I have heard Christians say, well, I do my praying when I do my yoga. Number one, you shouldn't be doing yoga. Yoga comes from Buddhism. Buddhism comes from Hinduism. And the type of Hinduism that has yoga comes from a particular god called Shiva. Do you know what the name Shiva means? S-H-I-V-A. It means the destroyer. If there's a, denom a demonic name, that's it. 
It matches the name Abaddon in the book of Revelation, the destroyer. When you mess around with yoga, you're messing around with demonic religion. And God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, can we drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of idols? We can't. We'll anger him. So we don't do that. So don't mix it with other things. Establish a proper prayer time with the Lord in the word, in the way that he says. May God help us all to serve him according to his plans. Now the last thing I want you to see here is the dynamic of prayer. And the dynamic of prayer is in verse 10. It says, once a year Aaron shall make atonement on its horns. This annual atonement must be made with the blood of the atoning sin offering. For the generations to come it is most holy to the Lord. What is it that makes prayer powerful? What is it that makes prayer powerful? Some people think that what makes prayer powerful is the length you pray. The longer you pray, the more powerful your prayer is. Some people think the more powerful your prayer will be is if you use more flowery language. You know, we've all heard people pray like that, haven't we? You know, they can quote poems and all sorts and they seem to uh, think that that special wording is what gives power to their prayers. Some people think it's posture, whether you get down on your knees or whether you lie down on your face. That's what gives power, power to prayer. Now, I'm not going to say that those, none of those things have a place because I believe they all do. But the dynamic of prayer is not found in anything man does. It's found in the blood of Christ. And this is what's signified, uh, symbolized in the altar having the blood from the sacrifice put on its four horns once a year. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would offer the sacrifices for Israel and they would take some of the blood and they'd put it inside the Holy of Holies uh, before the Ark of the Covenant. But the other thing they would do with it was they would take the cup of blood and they would put their... finger in it and they would paint it on the horns of the altar you say what a strange thing to do why did they do that because God was teaching them an important lesson way you come to me in prayer is you come by the blood that's the only way it's his blood that will make access for you to come to me and to make your prayers effective And the blood of the sacrifice was to remind them of what God was going to do in the future in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and to open up a new and living way for us to come to God. It's a bit like the story of Cain and Abel, right back at the beginning of the Bible. You remember Cain offered a harvest festival of beautiful proportions before God, but it said God didn't accept his offering. But God accepted Abel's offering because he bought a lamb. He said, well, why did God accept one and not the other? Because Abel bought an offering of blood. And he bought it in faith, as Hebrews 11 says. And that's the dynamic of prayer, through faith in the blood. And this is very important that I get this across. Because, you see, I can teach you a lot about prayer. I can teach you, you know, this is how you can have an ordered prayer life. And this is all these other things. But if you don't get saved, 
All the praying in the world is going to be no more than a, a mere parrot talking. You need to be cleansed from your sin by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the way is open for you to come to God. You see, between you and God stands your sin. It's an offense to him, like a great wall. And that wall needs to be knocked down. And that's why Jesus came and died for our sins, to remove that wall, that barrier, so we can come to God. And that's what his death on the cross was all about. And you've got to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be your saviour personally. This is why it's so important you become a Christian. Do you realise that David said in his Psalms, if I regarded sin in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. Sin is a barrier to God. That barrier has to be removed first by the blood. And if you haven't had the, uh, the Lord Jesus forgive you and save you by his death on the cross then all your praying isn't going to do any good. It's not getting through. You need to come. And I want to say you need to come if you haven't done now. I heard about a little girl who was talking to her mummy one day and they were talking about gravestones. They were walking through a graveyard and uh, she said all the words written on there. She said, mummy, I know what should be written on your gravestone. And she said, what's that, dear? She said, not now later because mummy that's what you always say but I want to say that's on the gravestone of many a non-Christian oh I'll become a Christian but not now later later not now later not now when I'm a teenager because that's inconvenient but you know later in life on my deathbed I'll become a Christian and we put it off and we put it off and we put it off If you want God to be answering your prayers, helping you in life, guiding you, helping you when you're in trouble, when you're praying for others, you need to come by the way of the blood. Have your sins washed clean and you need to come now. So if you haven't done so, put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died there for you. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then you will have access to God through prayer like that priest at the altar of incense. And you'll be able to say, at last, I've learned to stand on my own two knees. (laughs) God bless. Let's sing.